Well, it's good to see everybody out this morning. We didn't get blown away yesterday with that strong wind, uh, but uh, we're here, and so uh, we're thankful that you've taken time, especially if you're visiting with us, to be with us, and we invite you back at each and every opportunity uh, that you have to be with us. I had uh, told a few people that I was going to preach on the subject of tongue speaking. And to do that, I have to go back into history because I think that that's very relevant uh, to what uh, takes place today. There are a lot of religious groups that that are out there that claim that they have the ability to speak in tongues as we read in the New Testament. And there are many that are in the church, there are some in the church that uh, wonder if it's possible uh, that we can speak in tongues today. And the idea of modern day tongue speaking only began in the 20th century. If you go back and you look in history, you will not find a church anywhere in church history that spoke in tongues from the 2nd century all the way up through the 19th century. But that is something that took place in the 20th century. And I thought that it would be good to go back and look at this uh, look at this, and teach on this particular subject. And so, uh, there's going to be three lessons today and two others. Uh, because I said, told somebody if I preach the entire sermon, everybody will leave. <laughs> but it would have been a long one. So I've divided it up. And so we're going to look at the history and some of the things that led to that kind of belief in modern day history. We're going to go back and look at some of the history. Like today we're going to look at John Calvin. And then next week we're going to look at some of those that came after John Calvin, which their doctrine, which is false, played up in, or was used, they used his doctrine to base what they believe in what they do. And so we're going to look at that, and then our final sermon is we're going to look at the verses of Scripture that talk about tongue speaking, and so we can understand what it really is. And so this morning, I want to start off by looking at John Calvin, who was an individual who goes back to the 16th century. And believe it or not, what he sowed, the the false doctrines that he sowed, plays a tremendous part in what takes place today, the false teaching and the false actions that people uh, practice today. John Calvin did not believe in speaking in tongues, believe it or not. But some of the things that he taught permitted people later on to think that they needed to do something to prove his theory was true. And so, when something is inconsistent with Scripture, then it's very easy for false doctrine to come about because of that. Many times people want to take one Scripture and forget all the other things that the Bible talks about concerning that particular subject. And it's very easy for people to get confused. And so hopefully this lesson will help us to understand uh, John Calvin and some of the things that he taught, which is a result uh, he taught and what came about from that is Calvinism. And if you've not heard of Calvinism, there uh, is, you can take each letter of the, the word tulip and you can see the teachings uh, that he uh, uh, taught uh, concerning what he believed that the Bible said. 
And so we're going to take those words or that word and we're going to look at each one of these steps or plans that he has and see what it leads to. And hopefully in the next few lessons we'll come to understand how some of the things came about that we see in a religious world today. When we look at the word uh, tulip, which uh, tulip, uh, the first letter is T, which is total hereditary depravity. And that word uh, mean, or they believe that as a result of that, that no one or no one comes into this world without sin. That when we come into this world, we're born in a sinful situation. That means that we inherited Adam's sin. And the Bible does not teach us that. We're held accountable for the sins that we commit. But we can see that when he taught that, that other doctrines, other false ideals were created. And simply put, when you look at what he taught, it was simply that the human soul is born corrupt. That means that when we come into this world, that there's, our soul is corrupt with sin already. That little baby, that child that comes into the world, comes into the world with sin. Unfortunately for them, the Bible does not teach that. And we're going to see that. And what they base their doctrine on is a couple of verses, but there's other verses that they use. But I want to concentrate on two of the verses because we've looked at them on a Wednesday evening. In Psalms chapter 51 and verse 5, we find there it says, Behold, this is David talking, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And then in another verse, Psalms chapter 58 and verse 3, he says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. Well, what what is David really saying here? In Psalms chapter 51 and verse 5, David is not saying that he was born a sinner, but rather that he was born into a sinful world. That's what He's trying to show us in the Scripture. When we come into this world, obviously, there's sin all over the place. But that doesn't mean that that individual that came into this world, that baby that is born, is a sinner. You can look at it this way. I've seen this this point that was made by another preacher where he said, if the verse read this way, Behold, I was shaped in a potato patch... And in a field of spuds did my mother conceive me. And I thought, you know, that kind of really makes a point. Because sometimes when we substitute other words, we can really see what the meaning is. So, do you think if those words were in that verse, do you think David would mean that when he was born, he was born a potato? Well, certainly not. But we would understand that he was born amongst potatoes. That he was born in a situation there. And as soon as he was born, he wasn't speaking lies. As we see there in Psalm chapter 58 and verse 3, David was trying to convey the message that he was a sinful person, but when he came into this world, there was sin all around him. He did not inherit Adam's sin. He did not inherit his father's sin. He didn't inherit anyone else's sin. He's not saying that his mother was a sinner. He's trying to show the point that when he came into the world, there was sin. One is not born today, as it talks about there in Psalm chapter 58. Read that verse again. But they go astray. 
Think about that. When you come into the world, you go astray. What, what does that mean? Does that mean immediately that that little baby starts, as that verse says, to start speaking lies? Well, we know that a baby that comes into the world can't even talk. So it would be impossible for that child to speak lies. So when one is born, they come into this world, but notice they have to go astray. They have to make that choice. They're sinful. They've chosen that. It's not something that they come into the world already a sinner. And there are many arguments that show positively that the human soul is not sinful at birth, but only when it commits sin. And that baby that comes into this world is incapable of sinning because they have to make that choice. And a baby doesn't make those choices. Think about what the Bible teaches us about God and the soul. God gives the soul of man. He, each one of us has a soul and God gives that soul. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7, it says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit, which is what? Our soul. The Spirit shall return to God unto God who gave it. There we find very plainly where, the, where Solomon is telling us that God gives us our soul. We know that from the very beginning when He breathed into, into the nostrils of man and He became a living soul. God gives that soul. And then in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 1, "...the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord..." which stretches forth the heavens and layeth the foundations of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. God makes that spirit. God creates that spirit. Our soul, your soul, all souls, they come from God. The question is, can or would God give a man an evil soul? If he could, then that would contradict what James chapter 1 and verse 17 tells us. Because in James chapter 1 and verse 17, we find that every good and perfect gift comes from God. God doesn't give evil gifts. God doesn't do evil. He doesn't create evil. When He does good, He creates good. You'll find a Scripture that says He created evil. But He created evil because when He created good, the opposite of that is evil. And when He says do something, that's good. And when you fail to do it, that's evil. So God doesn't give us an evil, sinful soul. In Matthew chapter 7, and verse 18, again it says, "...a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit." How many passages of Scripture do you read where it says God is good? And if God is good, can He give us something that's evil? No, He cannot. And furthermore, why would Jesus have said that one had to come or become like a little child in Matthew the 18th chapter, verses 1 through 3? If that child is a sinful creature. He tells us that we have to become as children if we want to make it to heaven, if we want to have the, enter the kingdom of heaven. And so that's important. Why? Well, He wants us to avoid sin. He wants us to stay away from sin. So God didn't create us a sinful creature. 
And so we're not deprived or depraved uh, in order uh, when we come into this world and we, we become sinful in this life by the choices that we make. The next point of that doctrine is unconditional election. As a result of this belief that man is born in a sinful state, another false teaching comes about, and that is this unconditional election where we see that they believe that since a man is born in such a sinful state, that there is nothing that an individual can do in order to be saved. Well, have you heard anyone say that? Have you heard any preacher say that? Not any preacher of the Gospel of Christ. They're not going to say that. But I've heard preachers say, oh, there's nothing you can do in order to be saved. And they rely on Scriptures like Romans chapter 3, verse 24, where it says, "...being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." Or Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, certainly we are saved by the grace of God, but Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says that the grace of God has appeared to all men. Now, is all men going to be saved? No, but all men can have the opportunity to be saved when they accept that gospel by faith and obey. And when we talk about faith, you need to look at what the Bible teaches about faith. And I think Hebrews chapter 11 is a good chapter to look at when it comes to faith. What does faith mean? Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then we see it later on that those who had faith were moved to do what God told them to do. For example, Noah was told to build an ark. By faith, he was moved by, and he did exactly what God told him to do. God told him how big, how wide, how tall, how many windows, how many doors, pitch it within, without, how many animals, what animals to put on it. He told him all of those things. And as it says in Genesis chapter 6, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. His faith moved him to do what God said. Our faith moves us to obey the Gospel. And Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Furthermore, they say that God chooses those who will be saved and those who will be lost. To answer that doctrine, we have to remember that God's Word is never going to contradict itself. Having said that, there are many places that show us that man has a part to play in his salvation. In other words, God's grace is a fact that He's given us a plan so that you and I could be saved. And He doesn't pick and choose who's going to be saved, but He says, if you follow this plan, you will be saved. And so the plan is what the prediction or the, the, the predestination is. If you follow this plan, it's sort of like that bus over there, bus A, is going to go to Orlando, Florida, to Disney World. I don't know if you should go to Disney World nowadays, but we're, we're just going to go to Disney World right, right now. And so if you want to get to Disney World, where do you need to be? On that bus. There may be other buses, but those buses aren't going to take you there. And so you need to be on that bus. And if you're on that bus, then that's where you're going to go. Well, God's saying, here's the plan. 
This is what you need to do in order to be saved. And if you don't want to do that, then you're going to be lost. And it's up to you as to whether or not you're on the bus that's going to lead us to heaven. Think about what it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. Peter had preached a tremendous sermon on that day. They cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter told them to repent and be baptized, every one of them, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But then he goes on in verse 40, and he says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Peter, I thought there was nothing that you could do. I thought it was outside of humans' ability to do something in order to be saved. I thought it was all a work of God. Why did Peter say, save yourselves from this untoward generation? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven. Jesus, didn't you know? It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. If you've chosen that I'm going to be lost, I'm going to be lost. So why do I need to bother trying to do what you, your Father, has told me I need to do? You see, the Bible teaches that we're going to be judged by our works. Now, if there's nothing that I can do to save my soul then how are my works going to condemn me or save me in the end? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Really, I thought, I thought there was nothing that I could do. Why are you going to judge me, Lord, about what I've done if it doesn't matter what I do? John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last days. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Again, does it matter how I live my life? It most certainly does based upon what the Bible teaches. Is it out of my hands and only in God's hands? No, God's told me what I need to do in order to be saved. And I need to do those things in order to be saved. If this unconditional election were true, there would be no need for the judgment, for God has already decided who is going to be saved and who is going to be lost. And finally, this doctrine makes God unjust because He would be condemning some having never given them a chance to serve Him even if they desired to do so. The next point in this false doctrine is limited atonement. 
Unconditional election eventually led to the doctrine of limited atonement. That's the L that's in the word tulip. This is simply the belief that Christ only died for those selected few whom God has chosen. Thus, the atonement for sin given by His death is limited. And that doctrine, I believe, is very easy to prove false. First, the Bible says that Jesus died for the ungodly. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6-8, through it says that when we were yet without strength in due time, God, or Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commandeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Limited atonement says He only died for the ungodly. Jesus died for everyone. It gets back to being obedient to His will. We have to do what He's told us to do in order to be saved. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, "...for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever..." Believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. So what's what's Jesus saying? What's the Bible telling us? That that gospel is for everyone. That that grace that God has extended to all men is for everyone. And anyone that will accept it and obey it will be saved. But Jesus died for the sins of the world. He didn't die just for a selected few. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, if He wanted all men to be saved... Doesn't it make sense that when Jesus died on the cross, He died so that all men could be saved? Not just a limited few. Not just who God has predestined and said, you're going to be saved, you're not. You are, you're not. You are, you're not. 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, what's Peter saying? God doesn't want anyone to be lost. And He's made provision so anyone can be saved. Everyone could be saved. But not everybody wants to be saved. And that's why Peter says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Because I would imagine there were some in that group on that day that did not want to be saved. They didn't want to listen to that message. They didn't want to do what Peter said they needed to do in order to have the remission of sin and to receive that gift of salvation which was being offered. Which leads us to irresistible grace. This is the belief that the elect those chosen by God are going to be saved whether they desire to be or not. I 
That would mean that a man could hate God, even worship Satan, and still be allowed to enter heaven. Joshua said in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, And if it seem evil unto you to choose the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know the argument sometimes that they make is that, well, if you're lost, then you never were saved to begin with. We'll look at that here in a minute. But if you obey the Gospel, that's a promise that we have. But we also see other passages of Scripture that show us that we can be lost. And so it's a choice that you and I have to make as to who we want to serve. We can serve God or we can serve Satan. Those are the only two choices, really. And that's what Jesus is saying when He says, Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven. So He says there's going to be some out there that's saying good things. But what they're doing is wrong. And then it brings us to the last part of our lesson. Calvinism teaches that the elect cannot lose their salvation. We often hear that doctrine called once saved, always saved. That sounds real good. That sounds like something that everybody would want to be a part of. Wouldn't it be great to know that once you're saved, there's nothing that you can do? And then that gets back to the point that I was making earlier. What they'll say is that, well, if you go back into the world, then you weren't saved to begin with. Well, does, is that what the Bible teaches? Does the Bible teach us that we can be saved but then be lost? That we still have to make the right choices? You see, the Bible teaches us uh, that we have the ability that we can lose our salvation. The Scriptures teach us that that ability to choose whom we will serve and that, that, that our eternal soul is going to be judged based on the choices that you and I make in our lives. Notice that the Scripture says we're going to be judged whether it was good or bad. So we may do good and we'll be judged by that, and we may do evil, bad things. That's going to come up in the judgment too. No one who believes and once saved, always saved, would deny that Paul was one of the elect. One of those that supposedly was chosen. Who couldn't be lost. But look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, chapter, verse 27. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself be a castaway. Was Paul saying that it's possible that even Paul could be lost? Yes, he is. That's what he's saying. He realizes that. Paul constantly worked to stay in that saved condition. As the Scripture says, he buffeted his body daily. 
he, he checked to make sure that he was walking in the light and had to make corrections if there were things that were wrong, things that he needed to correct. And the same is true for you and me. We can also look at Simon the Sorcerer in Acts the 8th chapter. If you have your Bible, turn over there. Because here's one where I've heard people say, well, he is never saved to begin with. But look what it says. We know that uh, Philip had been preaching. And then we see there in uh, verse uh, 13, uh, we see in verse 12 it says, and uh, when they believed Philip's preaching and the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. They did exactly what Jesus had said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. They did exactly what Peter was saying on Acts 2 and verse 38. And here we see that these individuals did the exact same thing. They believed and they were baptized. And look what it says there in verse 13. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So here's Simon who was a sorcerer and he obeyed the Gospel. He believed. Now, the Scripture says he believed. Not me. I didn't say he believed. The Scripture. This was written by Luke who was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he wrote it. So he's writing what God's telling him to write. And so he's looking at Simon the sorcerer, who was a believer and was baptized, and he's in a saved condition. But then what does he do? He sees that through the laying on of hands that the Holy Spirit can be given to where they can do miraculous things. And he wants to purchase that Holy Spirit. He wants to buy that, that power. Because he had deceived people before, and now he sees the real thing. And he wants to be a part of that. Now, was he saved at that point? He was saved. He was still a Christian. He obeyed the Gospel. That's what the Bible says. He believed. And he was baptized. But then look down in verse 20. When he made that, uh, <coughs> when he said, verse 19, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, or lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven. Wow, I thought he was saved. And I thought that if he was one of the elect, he wouldn't have, there was nothing that he could do that would jeopardize his salvation. Does it sound like Paul or Peter is telling the Simon that you've jeopardized your salvation? Does it sound like Peter saying, you could be lost? Does it sound like Peter saying, you are in a lost condition because you need to repent and ask God to forgive you? You ever wondered why Peter didn't say you need to be baptized again? I'll tell you why. Because he'd already been baptized into Christ. He was a Christian. But now that salvation was in jeopardy. And he needed to repent. And so what does he do? He asked Peter to pray for him. That's what he did. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, it says, And if... 
if after they have escaped the pollutions of this world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. What's Peter talking about? He's talking about a condition just like Simon found himself in. That we escape this world, the sinful nature of this world, we get out of that situation, we're no longer in bondage to sin, we're not following the devil, we've gotten out of that situation when we obey the Gospel, but then we get entangled in it again. And what does Peter say? You're in a worse condition than you were before. And then he goes on to talk about the dog that returns to its vomit. You know how despicable and disgusting that thought is. Or the the pig, the sow that's been washed to go back and wallowing in the mire. That's the picture that we see of a Christian. Somebody that has been saved, but now has gone back into the world. So does the Bible teach us that we can be lost? It most certainly does. Our actions are what's going to judge us on the judgment day. And you and I, we decide whether we will go to heaven or hell based upon our actions. It's the choices that we make. I want to go to heaven, so I have to get on the bus. And when I get on the bus, I have to stay on the bus. And we can get kicked off the bus. We can get off the bus voluntarily. But we need to be on the bus that's going to heaven. Because if we're not on that bus, if we're not following the grace plan, the plan that God's given us to be saved, then we're going to be lost. And so I think that we can see some of these things that were taught way back there in the 16th century, how detrimental they are to what the Bible teaches. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Remember that judgment scene that Jesus gives us, where those on the left and those on the right, that some failed to do what they were supposed to do, and they were lost. Some did what they were supposed to do and they didn't realize that it was that they were doing it in, in for, for Jesus. They just did what was right. They just did what they were supposed to do. And they ended up in the right place. They were saved. And that's what the Lord wants for us. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be motivated for the right reasons. That we love Him. We want to please Him. We want to serve Him. And if we do then we'll hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You see, as believers in God's inspired Word, and we believe that it's inspired because Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses six, or verse 16 and 17, tells us that it is the inspired Word of God. That means that it's God's, God breathed. That means that we have what God wants us to have. And we know that the passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 16, or 15 says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things which is the head, even Christ. You see, Paul understood that it's very easy to get caught up in some other doctrine, some false doctrine, some false teaching. And so he's telling us, don't be tossed to and fro like the wind. You need to be stable. You need to base what you're listening to on God's Word, not misinterpreted, not misapplied, but used according to what the Scriptures teach. Don't just pull one Scripture out and say, well, this is what I can do. Because I can pull out one verse that says the opposite, that you need to do something else. They all go together. That's the picture that we see. God's Word is there for us. Colossians chapter three or 2, verses four, uh, verse 4 says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Paul realizes that there's people that can come along and sound good. You know, once saved, always saved. That sounds great, doesn't it? You can't do anything to lose your salvation. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But that's not what the Bible teaches. We can be lost. And we need to understand, don't let somebody beguile you, trick you, deceive you. Verse 8, he goes on to say, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. When we speak, we need to speak as the oracles of God. That means we need to understand those that are speaking need to understand what the Bible is telling us so that we can tell others what they need to do in order to be saved. And as Christians, we need to realize that what we're hearing is very important and we need to make sure that what we're hearing is the truth. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, it says, Be not carried away with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meat, not with meats which have not profit them which are occupied therein. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Warning after warning, telling us that there's false teachers out there. You know, sometimes you get a phone call, you answer that phone, and you have to decide right then and there many times if the person on that other end of the phone is trying to take advantage of you or is really there to help you. Are they telling you the truth? And sometimes that's very hard to decide. And so you just... Hang up on them. Or you don't answer the phone to begin with. The same is true with God's Word. We need to know whether it's the truth. And we can't just give up and say, well, I don't want to hear it, so you know, i got my way of going and I think that everything's okay. And so we just hang up on that other individual. We have to know the truth. And you have to know the truth. So that we can defend ourselves and defend our Lord. And make sure that He's represented correctly. That His Word is not twisted and manipulated. In 2 John, verse 9 and 10, it says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrines of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrines of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. 
neither bid him Godspeed. That shows you the importance of listening to God's Word and making sure that what you're hearing is the truth. And that when you know the truth, when you know the doctrines of Christ, don't let someone else come along and say, this is the doctrine of Christ. You know what the book says. Because if you're bidding them Godspeed and they're teaching something that's false, you're just as guilty. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus came to this earth to die for all of us. He came and died on the cross for all of our sins so that you and I could be saved. So that we could have that home in heaven. But the choice is yours. He didn't predetermine it. You're going to be saved and you're going to be lost. He says, if you follow this plan, if you follow what My Word says, then you'll be saved. Who can do that? All of us can do that. The question is, do we all want to do that? Because Jesus plainly says, if you want to be a follower of His, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Him. Denying self sometimes is pretty hard. Because sometimes we don't want to deny self. We want what we want we want it now. We don't want to really do what God says to do. And sometimes we'll say, well, we'll put it off some other day. We'll do it later. I'll change before I die. Well, maybe you will. But most likely you won't. And so today is the day of salvation according to Scripture. And so if you need to change today, if you need to become a child of God, you need to do what the Bible says you need to do in order to be saved. And that's exactly what they did on the day of Pentecost when Peter said, Repent and be baptized every one of you for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What were they baptized for? The remission of sin. By the authority of Jesus Christ that they might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is that gift? That gift is salvation. That promise that we find through Scripture that if we're faithful to God, we'll have that home in heaven. And that faithful walk starts when we obey the Gospel. When we go down in that water and we come up out of that water because that's what Romans chapter 6 tells us. That we go down a sinner, we come up a new creature. So don't let someone tell you that you were born with sin, that you came into this world with in that situation because it's not true. And so this morning, you may realize that you've sinned and you need to make yourself right with God. And if you're not a child of His, then you need to change. You need to accept what the Bible teaches and surrender your life to Him through obedience to His Gospel. And if you are a Christian and you haven't lived as you should, then you need to repent. You can change. And if we need our prayers, we're here to help you in any way that we can. You have that opportunity to come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.